Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Theo, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hi Tej, thanks for having me. It's alright, you made me come up like four hours from the nearest civilization <laughs> for this podcast. Where's nearest civilization? London. Like, yeah, London. Da- down south. Down south, <laughs> mate. So Aop, we're in um, Yorkshire. We're in Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Uh, how long have I known you? Six months plus? Uh, yeah, when I was up here talking. When you were up here, yeah. But we've been speaking on Facebook before that. On Facebook, I remember that. So, uh, before we get into like what you're doing now and the cool property stuff you've been doing, who was Theo before property? So, before property, uh, Theo was an engineer and project manager. So, left school, very average student, very average grades, went into college to do uh, engineering. Went into university, didn't really like the fact that I was doing full-time university. I was always one of these kids that wanted, loved working and uh, always trying to make the next quid. Um, so I'd done university full-time for a year and then second year I decided that I wanted to find uh, a placement and do uni on a, on a part-time basis. So I found a, found a job up in uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah. <laughs> YI. <laughs> And uh, yeah, got taken on by a company. Um, I was working four days a week and then on a day release doing un- going to university. So they sponsored me to do my degree, which was great. Uh, done that for, stayed with that company for three years. And yeah, and then moved to a, another company, got promoted as a, an engineering project manager. Uh, managed multi-million pound um, manufacturing line installations. So bringing in machinery from from abroad and installing it uh, up up north. Hmm. And so you know what then pushed you or moved you into property? Because it sounds like you had a good job, you were getting promoted. Why property? Yeah. So I bought my first property when I was nineteen years old. How? So, like I said, I was always one of these kids that loved working. So at fifteen years old, I was working. In a takeaway, uh, one, uh, yeah. So I was working in a takeaway, and I'm not one of these people that likes being sort of told what to do. So I thought I'd do this for a little bit, then I'd open my own takeaway shop. Nice. So I done that for just under two years, and just before I turned seventeen, opened up my own takeaway shop. Before you were set. Before I was seventeen, yeah, I couldn't even drive at the time. I mean, how did you do that? So it, it, yeah, I mean. <laughs> It was a matter of me finding a motivated seller, which I didn't know what a motivated seller was at the time. Okay. But I found a motivated seller that wanted to get rid of his takeaway. At the time, it wasn't. It was a it was a chip shop, so it was a rundown chip shop in a in a bit of a, a rough area. But it had a, a very it was very densely populated. So went in, had a had a look at the shop, had a chat with the owner. He was just wanting to get rid of it because it was taking up all of his time, wasn't making any money of it. And uh, yeah, just just was keen to get rid. Managed to negotiate it down far enough to uh, to be able to buy it at such a low price. I mean, I think I paid about ten grand for the lease. Yeah. 
What did it? What was it offered at? What did he? So yeah, it was. I think it was originally on for about sixteen, seventeen grand. Um, but like I said, it sounds cheap because it was a because it was a rundown business. Mm. Uh, so I was just buying the lease and, and the fixtures and fitness. And you really. had ten grand from so your savings. I, or? I think I had about seven grand, and then my dad borrowed me two or three. So yeah, I can't believe your dad loaned you that money at that young age to set up a business like that's just that's incredible for both of you like just that this even happened yeah so like I said I was always one of these kids that that was always trying to trying to sell something trying to make some money I mean I was that typical kid at school um, trying to sell sweets on the playground <laughs> a um, hustler yeah 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 little, little young hustler um, and and then I left I left school and I was selling mobile phones at college uh, made a few quid from that and yeah and then eventually I saved up that money and then the money that I was earning from a weekend job to, to buy a, a takeaway myself. Wow. So then you operated the takeaway for how many years? I operated that takeaway from 17 till 19. Okay. Um, so shut it down. It was a chip shop at the time. Shut it down, refurbed it, turned it into a, a pizza takeaway. Um, and yeah, it, it, it doubled the turnover in a matter of months. Um, and were you in the back making pizza? I was, I was making the pizzas. I was running the shop. I had five stuff at the time as well. I grew it from one staff to to five staff. When you were like an age where like you could just you just were able to vote, you're just able to drink legally. Like you are out here hiring staff. Yeah, that's yeah. mad. Exactly. I mean, I I was one of these kids where I was always working. So when my mates were partying on a weekend, going out, I was always stuck at work. But I loved it. I enjoyed it. And so why did you give that up then? Because it sounds like it was going pretty well. It was going really well, but my uh, typical Middle Eastern family, uh, <laughs> you must go to university, you must get a degree, <laughs> you know what it's like. Um, so uh, peer pressure from, from my family to obviously to focus on, on getting a degree and, and graduating from university. And I couldn't do the, the two at the same time. And did you sell the takeaway then? So I sold, sold the takeaway for a profit, um, walked away from that. And I sold the takeaway at the age of 19. And then that's when I took my money and put it into my first property. So that's where the, the, the initial budget come from. How, so many questions. At this young age, like, because right now at our ages and any age, you generally struggle with mindset and you struggle with just everyday things and challenges. At that age, how did you have the mindset to do this, to hire other humans that you have to manage like where did it come from yeah i mean i was i was driven by uh, materialistic things so I'm, i was a very materialistic person i was very um i always wanted to buy some decent clothes i was always wanting to drive a nice car and 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 i set myself goals from that young age that i wanted to upgrade my car to this or i wanted to buy that or i wanted mm. Um, and and I had to put a plan together, and because you're not these things aren't just going to land in your lap from nowhere. You're going to have to go out and work for it, and that that's what I done from a young age. Wow. Okay. So then you bought your first house age nineteen. Yeah. From the money you made from buying and selling a business. Yeah. At even a younger age. Tell me about your first property. Yeah. So my first property um, was a, a two bedroom mid-terrace in, in Middlesbrough Town Centre. I purchased that for 35 grand. 
Um, cash mortgage. That, that was that was a cash that was a cash purchase. Was that like below market value? Was it a mess that, or was it just that was a that was below market value? It was a mess. I mean, it needed rewiring. It needed new bathroom, new kitchen. Needed re-skimming. Needed decorate. Yeah, so it was a full refurb basically. Um, and back then, I didn't really know what I was doing, so uh, I got a, got some help from my dad, and we we sort of refurb most of it ourselves. So oh, wow. very hands on at, at that time. And how long did the refurb take? I think it was about two months, two or three months, to be it's honest. Not bad if you're not skilled tradespeople. Yeah, yeah, it's just doing evenings and weekends. And then when it was done, what did you do with it? Did you refinance or did you just? No, so at that time I didn't know what a refinance was. I didn't know what what a mortgage was. I was very, very sort of naive in that way. Um, I yeah, rent, just rented it out. Rented it out. I think it brought in hundred pound a week, four three three a month. And yeah, and I was just sort of collecting collecting the rent every month. And then at that point, did you think that was easy? Let me do ten more, or did you say, nah, let me get back to uni? Yeah, so I didn't have that mindset of properties. What I wanted to do, it was just sort of I had some money. Where's the safest place to put it and put it in a property? Yeah. Um. So I done that, and then I just like I said, just went back to uni and just constantly sort of forgot about that property. To be honest, and that's been paying you rent ever since. And that's been paying me rent ever since. Yeah. When you're absolutely, at uni, that's a nice yeah. that's a nice bonus to have, you know, yeah, four hundred yeah. quid a month. Okay, so then you went to uni, did your placement, you finished uni, finished uni, yeah. Then went straight into this this continued placement, continued my job, yeah. So then, how many years of working in a nine to five did it take before you were like, okay, I need to do something different, I need to get into property more seriously now? Yeah, I think it was about three or four years. And what what pushed my- you to do that? Because I seen a lot of the people that were that were 20, 30, 40 years older than me um, in 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 the company that I was working for, and they were doing the same repetitive tasks day in day out. They didn't have any ambitions in life, no goals in life. Um, all they had was was the pension at the end of at the end of their retirement. If they even had that, yeah. if they even had that, and it was and, it, and you know better than I do that pensions don't really pay much these days. Um, and and it just clicked that this is not what I want to do. I don't want to be still be here in 30, 40 years time. Um, and I need to take control of this myself. And then, so what was your first step then? Because a lot of listeners and a lot of people generally in property have been in or are in that situation where yeah. they're like, I don't want to be that person who's literally nine to five for the past 40, 50 years as comfortable and as easy as it is compared to like being self-employed, what what was your first step to then lead you to getting out of that? Yeah, so my first step was was to, to know more about to know more about property. So I started um, reading books. I started uh, immersing myself in, in in podcasts. TED Talks podcast is is great, um, and started networking. Yeah, and 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 then before then, I started to take my first steps. And so, you haven't paid for education. I've never paid for education, no. And I mean, this is a bit of a. There's no real answer to this, but you know, do you think you would be further ahead or have done things quicker if you'd paid a grand and a half for education? See, um, education is great, uh, and and I encourage people to get educated. But there's, there's different types of education. There's classroom education or there's practical education where you're actually on the ground, you're doing the work yourself. And I'm the type of person that doesn't really 
so you need to know yourself basically you need to know what is your best learning style how do you how do you learn so my best learning was never from classrooms i was always that kid at school like just couldn't really focus um the best time the best time i would learn was when i was practically doing something so and i and i took that on with property as well so the only the best time for me to learn is when i'm actually doing it um, rather than sort of reading on about it or in the classrooms mm-hmm. but what i did educate myself with books podcasts and networking i was finding those people that were uh, a few steps ahead of me and yeah. taking them out for coffees and meals and yeah and uh, yeah and just getting to know them and and, and they were, they've always been there for me for when i've needed um any questions answering so you know when it came you know to that sort of point you were doing all this getting all this knowledge taking in so many different opinions different strategies different game plans yeah how did you know what your strategy was going to be because you have a choice of so many yeah i just wanted uh the simplest strategy and the simplest strategy for me was single buy to let mm-hmm. uh, and and that's the proven it's a tested proven yeah. method it's worked for hundreds of years and and that's that's that was the first that was the first step for me and you live in a place where you can easily access places that you can buy for 40 50 60 sort of grand yeah that's right yeah yeah i live in the northeast and yeah it's typically the prices are a lot a lot lower than, than anywhere else in the country. Mm, okay. So bitelets. I do bitelets as well yeah. because they're boring, they're yeah. basic, they're simple. Yeah. You know, there should be no management. You're describing me there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there should be no management. Yes, the, the you know, the cash flow is compared to HMO it's like small. Yeah. But I think the passivity you can get from it yeah. is is a lot more than any other type. Everyone always needs a three-bed house, yeah. like undeniably. Yeah. So you were doing buy-to-lets. How did you then, obviously you're close to various areas, how did you decide on an area or areas that you were like, well, I'm going to focus investing here? So the areas that I focused on was the areas that I know best. And, that, and that's all it come down to, really. There was not, not much more research apart from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the areas that I knew best was my hometown and the surrounding areas. And, and then I narrowed it down by price range, rental yields, etc. So tell me about your first deal then. So we've done your actual first deal when you were 19, but when now when you were kind of going sort of all in, yeah. what was your first deal? So my, my second first deal yeah. um, was done back end of 2017. Mm-hmm. So just over two years ago. And yeah, it was, a, it was a below market value deal. It was on the market at the time for £75,000. Uh, but it was run down. I mean, the properties in the area were only going for sort of 80, 85, and it needed about 15 grand spending on it. So it had been on the market for a very long time. I mean, we're talking about a year and a half, two years even. Bloody hell. So it was on the market for a very long time. So I just sort of, I thought I might as well stick my head in for a viewing because there's nothing to lose really. Um, and I'd done a lot of viewings at that time and it was just throwing out a load of uh, stupid offers. Hoping one of them will stick. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what that's like. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was it was it was up for seventy five. I went and viewed it, and I offered them fifty grand at the time. So, mm. but it was one of, on one of these um, online estate agents where you sort of meet direct with the oh, vendor. Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember what the estate agent was called. To be honest, it was one that I'd never heard of. Um, and I started sort of negotiating with the vendor there and then. 
So I was like, oh, so they, they'd moved out from the property. They were downsizing to a bungalow and they had no sort of, there was, they didn't need the property. It was just money sat there that was costing them. Um, so I offered them 50 grand at the time and they said, oh, that's a great offer. Um, thanks for that. And we'll take it away and, and discuss it between the family members. So they went away, discussed it with the family members, but they didn't get back to me. If they didn't get back to me. Instead, they got back to their estate agent and they told the estate agent that we've been offered 50, but I'd like 55. So the estate agent then reduced the listing from 75 down to 55 grand. So you can imagine how much interest that drummed up. Yeah, I mean, the estate agent knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as soon as I had right move alert set up on my phone, so as soon as that happened, email pinged straight away to my inbox. And yeah, I basically rang the estate agent. I told them I'll give you a full asking price, which is 55 grand. Um, but the condition is you take it off the market now. Yep. And they, they made a phone call to the vendor and they took it off the market and accepted my offer at 55 grand. And were you were you happy offering at 55 grand? I was happy because I, I was, I mean, you always sort of offer a little bit lower than what you... Then, yeah. And then, yeah, so I started at 50 and I was willing to work my way up to 55, but I was hoping the vendor would come back to me and say, it's a little bit low, can you increase? And I was more than happy to increase. But instead, they went back to the estate agent and the estate agent then reduced it. It's so strange because the fact they considered 50 is really weird because after a year and a half of being on the market at overpriced 75k and being an investment opportunity being run down, I'm surprised no one else offered 50 or 55 in that period because people would have, right? Yeah. Like, So it's quite... And people always say, Ted, like, in these situations, is something wrong with the house? Is it like a crazy problem? And sometimes it's like... You might have viewed it the day after someone died or they had a, a, a debt come in yeah. and they're like, crap, we need to sell it. Yeah. So that's why, you know, like you said about putting loads of offers in, you never know when the right time is for the vendor to sell it at the right price for you. It could be never. Most times it's never. Yeah. But sometimes all it takes is them receiving one bad letter or something where they're like, I actually need out ASAP and you can come in and help. Yeah. So that property... 55, um, how did you buy that one? So I, I bought that one with cash. Okay, and this was so, cash from your so, savings and... No, so this was, so at the time, um, yeah, so at the time, uh, I bought my first my first property back when I was 19. I bought that one cash, if you remember. Yep. Um, but then in 2017, I educated myself by reading books, etc. And that's when I figured out what buy refurbish refinance was. So I thought, hang on a minute, I've got an un unencumbered property sat there that's not doing anything. So then I sat down with a mortgage broker and we refinanced that, that property. So that gave me a, a good chunk of cash um, to go out and, and buy my first property. And that was where the money was from for the second one. Now, why didn't you buy the property with bridging finance? I didn't know about it at the time. Okay, fair enough. And you didn't buy it with a mortgage because you were... I didn't buy it with a mortgage because it was in a poor condition and I sort okay. of knew from speaking to a broker that... They wouldn't. Yeah, there's, you can't. Fine. So you bought a 55. How much did you actually spend on it? So I spent, I think it was about 11 grand. Oh, so less than you thought. So less than I thought, yeah. And then did you get it refinanced? Yeah, so that's when I was going 
all steam ahead with by refurbish refinance strategy and i got it refinanced uh, within six months for and it got valued up at 80 grand nice so i managed to pull out most of my money yeah. yeah 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 wow and then and you were working full-time during i was this working time. full-time during that so how did you manage the refurb and and how did you manage viewings as well yeah so um viewings were done sort of evenings and weekends mainly weekends whilst i was mm-hmm. in a full-time job um, and I managed the refurb from a distance because I was working in Newcastle and this property was in Teesside. So there's about, what, 40 mile, 40 mile distance. Um, so I was, uh, it was mainly weekends I was visiting um, to check up on the refurb and I was always in contact with my tradesmen every day. And how did you find good tradesmen you could trust? From recommendations. Uh, that's, that's, that's simply it, just from recommendations. And did they perform as you expected? Yeah, they performed. They performed well. I mean, you have some issues as you always do with every refurb. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got there in the end. And when this got refinanced, did it kind of make you think, "Whoa, I can like keep doing this." I can keep doing this over and over again. Yeah. And then, what was your next step after that property? So next step after that property was again um, continue doing these viewings, continue throwing um, loads of offers around, and and I wanted to buy more. So I think it went for about six months where I really couldn't find anything. But you were still viewing? But I was still viewing, from... making offers, uh, going wow. through the whole process, and I couldn't really find anything. How did you feel in those six months? So I felt, yeah, I felt like I wasn't progressing. I felt like I wasn't, the wheels weren't turning. I felt like I was in a standstill. Um, but I kept being persistent, and, that, and that's where mindset comes in, discipline, persistence, to keep going when things aren't going your way. And then it's like um, properties like buses, like you, you wait for a bus, nothing <laughs> comes. And then all of a sudden you get two or three in a go. Yep. Um, so in the summer of 2018, um, I had four offers accepted all in one go. It's funny when that happens because you're like, you're putting all these offers out and you ne- we never think, what if they all get accepted? Oh, Where's the money? Like who, who's paying for this? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen, but yeah. I mean, four at once is, is stressful. It's very stressful. It's good, but it's stressful. Yeah. But going back to what you said about mindset and persistence, what kept you going for six months? Because you were still new to this. It wasn't like you'd experienced this drought before. Yeah. It was your first sort of, like what kept you going through that? And to, like you said, just be like, more viewings, more offers, not getting anything up. What was that? Yeah, it's just having that sort of, the end goal in mind really if i need to get to here then i need to keep doing x y and z mm-hmm. and that's and that's that's what i've done and um, your end goal was my end goal was to retire from the corporate life um go full-time in property and build a massive portfolio okay i mean their the goal is to keep you especially if you don't like your job you're getting bored of it yeah that can easily drive you to kind of keep pushing and i guess you were working as well so it's yeah. not like you were sitting home for six months no do you think that having a full-time job at that same time slowed down what you could do? I do think it, um, I do think it slowed down what you can do because you're quite limited to what you can and can't do when you're in a full-time job because you're dedicating 40, 50 hours to, to someone else. Mm. Um, but if you have, like I said, that persistence and that, that, that vision of where you need to be um, and how to get there, then you will do whatever it takes to get there. And I was making phone calls um, with two estate agents during my breaks. I was uh, going to the toilet making phone calls there. <laughs> um, I was yeah answering phone calls. 
I was answering phone calls at work. Um, yeah, and 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 then I was also I was block book block uh, block booking these viewings on the weekend, and I was doing like 10, 12 viewings in, in a weekend. Wow! So over a month, it's like what forty. 40 viewings in a month which yeah. is yeah which is a which, good if, number. which if you're not working full time you could do in a week yeah two weeks potentially so Easy, yeah. there is that argument but there's lo- there's lots more factors right what made you do what some people do which is quit your job early before yeah. you had the property to sort of keep you going and just say right I quit my job I better make this work yeah for me it was it was always I've got bills to pay. I've got expenses to pay. Um, and it's not a wise option by quitting your job. I mean, this is my opinion. It's not a wise option for me to quit my job when I've got all these expenses and outgoings going out. Um, and it's not like I had the luxury of living at home. I was, I had my own apartment. I was living in Newcastle. Um, and yeah, so I had to, I had to have an income coming in every month I can cover my overheads mm-hmm. and I couldn't do that by by just having two properties at the time yeah. so the plan was to, to to stay in my job build up a big enough portfolio that will um, sustain my overheads mm-hmm. and, and then go into property full-time okay and you had four offers accepted yeah were these offers that you'd put in recently to the time they got accepted or were they ones that you'd put in four months before they were four months before, but some of them were a month before, some of them were six weeks before, and then two of them were sort of recent. And the ones that were put in months before, you'd put an offer in, yep. they said nope, yep. and you'd left it at that? Exactly. Or did you follow up? Or No, I, I basically, um, yeah, I left it at that, really. And they came back to and you? And they came back to me, they gave me a call, are you still interested, is your offer still standing? And I was like, yeah. And I think, you know, when people are new to property, it's hard to believe that will happen. I've yeah. had offers come back many months later. I think my first house, um, it was through a saucer, but that took a, like, it'd been on the market for a year and a half and it took six months them to come back. Wow. And it, I mean, they kept following up and you keep following up, which yeah. you learn. But like on that, did they came back to you for your offer. Yeah. That means they may not have had higher offers. When you were putting all, you know, when you were doing these viewings and putting these offers in, one thing people talk about is competition. Did you notice other investors on the viewings? Were agents like, "Oh, see, behave, mate. We've already got offers higher than that." Like, was it was it competitive or was it kind of like? Mm. It was it was competitive, but the offers that I put forward were sort of there were strong offers, but they were justified as well. Mm. This is how much I can offer because of X, Y, and Z needs to be done. And they understood that, and then they expressed that to their client, who was the seller. But then it got rejected at the time. Um, but yeah, and they followed up a month, a month later, and and I was. And when you justify it, give me an example. I'm an estate agent. You probably do it over email, but let's yeah. say you're you're walking into the office, you're giving me an yeah. offer. Give me an offer. Yeah. So let's say, for example, the property's on the market for eighty grand, but it's it, it needs. Um, 15 grand worth spending on it. But the market value for this, once it's done, is 90 grand. And this is what I explained to the estate agent. It needs 15 grand because it needs a new boiler, it needs a new kitchen, it needs a new bathroom, it needs redecorating throughout, uh, new carpets, um, there's, the roof needs maintenance, etc. And I list all of these down to the, the estate agent, explain my numbers and offer. And and then explain my position as well, how strong my position is, and how quick I can act. 
and then they, they take that away and give it to their uh, do you find some estate agents are just kind of like okay thanks Dan yeah they just don't even, like, some, some, it, like yeah some of them do some of them sort of aren't really interested in your explanation they just sort of want your offer and then see you later yeah and I, and I think like people shouldn't be put off by that because those estate agents can never come back and say oh your offer was shitty you can say well there's my explanation yeah um I have that often. Like, I do exactly what you do. I think most people in property do. And half of them just come back with, thanks, Edge, full stop. And I'm like... And it's like, yes, they're not reading it yet. And, but I guess it depends on your market, right? The estate agent may know they're going to get a stronger offer, so they're yeah. just like, look, whatever. Yeah. But I think it's something that you always have to do in case things come back. Or when you're on a viewing with them, you don't want them to be like, oh, I've seen your offers lately. You need to you know, stop viewing stuff or unless you're going to put proper offers in. Yeah. Um, but you can say, look, this is why there's an offer, right? You're protecting yourself, right? Yeah, of course. You are, yeah. Um, so four offers came in at once. How did you feel? So I felt overwhelmed at the time. Bearing in mind, I was also um, getting married at that time as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had four, <laughs> four property purchases that I needed for and a wedding. And weddings aren't cheap. They're not cheap, no, they're definitely not. So how, how did you handle this? Yeah, so, I mean, there was two properties that I sort of, I bought with mortgages. Okay. Um, so that minimised sort of my my deposit money sort of thing. Yeah. And and then two properties I, I bought cash. And then the I had a little bit of money left over for my wedding. Um, and then... <laughs> Priorities. Uh, <laughs> Got my priorities straight. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit of the money left over for the wedding, and yeah, I got help from from family for that, and which I paid them back um, shortly after. And you know, when you when you had all four sort of coming at you, did you have like a build team ready? Did you like were you ready for all four, or did you have to get ready? So luckily, two of them were sort of in okay conditions, and they were already tenanted as well. Oh, so two of them, I was quite fortunate that I didn't really have to do much for them. All I needed to do was just buy them. That's why I bought them with a mortgage. Um, and then the other two, they needed full refurbs, and yeah, I had I had a build team ready who'd done my previous refurb. Hmm. And how long do you normally take to complete on a property when you, when you were buying it back then? Yeah, so, th- th- I mean, with the mortgage properties, it takes roughly around 8 to 10 weeks. And the cash purchases, they took around 3 to 4. Okay. And you're buying all these houses now. You're um, you're kind of getting on your way to leaving your job. Yeah. Um. Like, so how many houses, so six houses right now, Yeah. and you're still working full-time, Yeah. and you're still living sort of 40 miles from the places you're... 40 miles from, from my investment area, yeah. And so when it came to then, I guess something we don't talk about often is the letting of these places. So yeah. ignoring the ones that were already let, Yeah. once you did a refurb, what was your process to getting them let out and picking the right tenants? So I didn't have anything to do with that. I outsourced that to a letting agent. Because my priorities were that I wanted to work on the bigger tasks, which were mm-hmm. finding properties and managing the refurbs. So they were the tasks that I actually enjoyed as well. The letting side, the managing of tenants, I don't, don't really enjoy that. So I outsourced that to a letting agent. Fine. And it made sense whilst I'm in a full-time job because the last thing yeah. I wanted was whilst I'm sat at work having a phone call saying, my crap was leaking. Yeah. 
No, it's true. Yeah, it's about it's outsourcing the right things, right, for you. Um, so you had these properties. Now, with buy-to-lets in the Northeast and in your sort of case, how much profit, profit I mean pre-tax, but, you know, after mortgage, after costs yeah. per month, can people be making from buy-to-lets? Yeah, so for a standard single, like you're looking anywhere between 250 and 300, really, a month. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Which is, yeah, the average, isn't it? And, you know, people say, oh, but HMOs, you get like a grand or 900 pounds. Yeah. I think the argument back is, yeah, you do. You can, yeah. But how many buy-to-lets do you need to replace the UK average salary of 24, is it, or 26? Okay. Not a lot, Not right? a lot, what, six, eight? And, you know, you just bought four in like one go. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you can do that, yeah. anyone can replace their income or become financially secure through buy-to-lets. Yeah. And it doesn't have to take... I mean, what can take long is the conveyancing and yeah. the, the refurb and the letting and all that stuff. Um, but you kind of just proved within how many months you had six buy-to-lets that this can happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So after you had these four buy-to-lets, were you still in the market to buy or did you say, oh, let me take a little break? Yeah, I took a little break because at that point in time, I was under a lot of pressure financially um, and I had four buy-to-lets that, were, that I've just added to the portfolio. So it was sort of coming to terms with 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 um, with onboarding those properties. Um, took a little bit of a break, but then just before... Um, so the two properties that were tenanted, I sort of just bought one buy-to-let mortgage and didn't do anything with in terms of refinancing or anything like that. I just let them tick over. But the other two properties, um, we refurbed them and then refinanced them again within six months. Um bolted them together on one mortgage product. Which lender did you use? Good question. Um, Shawbrook. It was Shawbrook, ah, yeah. Because we didn't meet... Um, the reason why I had to bolt two properties together was because we didn't meet their minimum lend criteria. Uh, so I had to bolt two t- properties together in order to exceed that. That is very interesting because I can't use them for that same reason. Yeah. But I've just bought two they're going to complete on the same day. So potentially... Ah, yeah. that's interesting. Okay, and they allowed it pre six months. Yeah, they allowed it. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, it was actually they don't allow it pre six months, but they have a at the time they had a bridge to let product, hmm. so they put me on a bridge. But then as soon as you have a bridge with them for a month or two, you roll straight on. You can roll straight on with no problem. And how did they take to organise the bridge? It took I think around six to eight weeks which is slow as hell slow yeah for a bridge and that's like my main problem with them yeah. like everyone talks about the bridge to let and how great it is but a few things people I don't need like to know them. is yeah six to eight weeks for a bridge six to eight weeks bridging bridge. should take six but eight. I didn't do that when I bought it I'd done it after so I'd already bought them with cash oh. and then I got a bridge to let in order to refinance them so oh. time so time really wasn't that's an issue for me Fine, but if you if people are going to buy with a bridge to let, if pe- yeah, especially Shawbrook, who can be a bit old school, yeah, yeah, um, very lengthy process, six to eight weeks. I mean, bridging I think should six take... to eight weeks on a good day, to be honest. I've had someone where they took three months for a bridge. Yeah, I, I, I've, I uh, that was I think that was with together, but that was only because they instructed their priority law. It was, it was uh, yeah, it's whenever you have three solicitors in a chain. Oh, one's bad enough. One's bad enough. (laughs) Never mind having three, because then you've got the buyer solicitor, you've got the seller solicitor, but then you've also got the lender solicitor. And whenever whenever that happens, you can forget your your four eight weeks time scale. That's that's not happening. I think the quickest way to bridge is to dual rep. 
So your solicitor, if, if they're good, does yeah. everything yeah. for the lender for you. Yeah. Um, because I had bridges done in like seven days. Yeah. I've had the money ready and less um, from together. Yeah. Because I guess yeah, the solicitors just cut everyone out. He said no, well, you my solicitor's doing everything, yeah, and that's it. Well, that's exactly what I do now. So mm. my solicitor is a dual representation for myself and the lender, and then there's only a seller solicitor. Yeah, and yeah, a tip for whoever goes through together is cut out your broker. Oh because yeah, go direct. Go direct because when you go with a broker, it's a lengthy process, um, and things always go wrong. And you don't need, I think, for, in my opinion, for bridging, I don't think you need a broker, right? Because it's not, the forms, I mean, what forms, like, it's just not complex. Yeah. And, okay, look, we're doing buy-to-lets. If yeah. someone's doing a big £2 million G development, yeah, yeah. this is a different story. Yeah. But for, like, buy-to-lets and stuff like that, I hate to, what, you know, you, it's easy it's to go straight, straight, to, straight yeah. to the money, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, brokers are fantastic for mortgages. For mortgages, they're amazing. Necessary. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream of getting a mortgage without going through a broker. Yeah. But when it comes to bridging, it's a different story. It's totally simple. So how did you first discover bridging then? Because you weren't using it before. I wasn't using it before. And it was my broker that introduced it to me. Mm. So the broker that I've got, he's a great guy. Um, he's not one of these guys that sort of says, no, you can't do this. He'll say, no, you can't do it that way, but you can do it by doing X, Y, and Z. And he's always one of these that proposes solutions. So... Mm-hmm. Um, he proposed that we couldn't refinance it within six months because we didn't meet the minimum lend criteria. But he said, if you do it through a bridge to let product, then you can get around it and obviously buy ball and two properties together. That's smart. So it sounds like up to this point, everything has gone swimmingly well. Did you have any major challenges or issues like up to this point? I think the mainly the challenges and issues that we had was funding at the time. It was just, I was very overstretched, um, especially with, with us four going on at the same time. Um, but other than that, really, there, was, there wasn't there was many issues in terms of refurbs or conveyancing or anything mm-hmm. like that. So then after this, you got married, happy days. Um, you got the properties, happy days. Yeah. You know, what was your next step and why didn't you quit your job then? Was it still not enough, basically? Yeah, I don't think it was enough for me at, at the time. Um, and it's it's... It's so easy to stay in your job just because you get comfortable, and and you get paid. You get you get you, you <laughs> yeah. yeah you get paid at the end of the month. You've got the certainty at the end of the month that you got a paycheck coming in, and it's just so comfortable to stay in your job. So I had no reason to quit. So I was just happy, sort of taking over. And it's not like I hated my job. I actually enjoyed it. The bit that I hated was having to be in in a certain place for a certain time for eight hours a day. Yeah. Not not able to do anything as you we could do this if we were employed no right? you simple things exactly um so that that was that was the restri- i just didn't like the restrictions that employment yeah. had on you um and i don't like the fact that you've got a cap, cap of how much you can earn so yeah. the only way to get a pay rise is by basically getting a promotion or your manager saying saying so yeah whereas if you're self-employed or you're in property if you want more money you have to go and buy more properties or freaking get it exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah so okay and that's that's what drove me to sort of to that so then what was your so you got these houses what was your step, next step now to then be like right let's go again I'm getting close to the target let's get there yeah because I mean six properties was, wasn't was enough for what I needed to uh, to get to so it was again go back to the drawing board keep viewing properties keep making offers and uh, yeah and then keep going keep growing the portfolio and how many viewings and offers do you think you do 
to get one accepted? I think I measured this at the time, to be honest. I think it was either 40 or 50 viewings to get one accepted. I think that sounds about average for yeah. both alerts. I think, I think everything I've heard, and from my experience, 40 to 50 to get a... Because you're doing biorepository finance, Yeah, right? to get a decent below-market value deal. Yeah, you're looking at... Four, and, and sometimes it's... Like you said, sometimes you, you could do 100 viewings and yeah. have three at once. Yeah. Then, it, then it all works out yeah. statistically. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a good measurement. I think maybe if if you're doing 40 to 50, 60 and you're not kind of getting anything, maybe it's time to review how you yeah. follow up or how you give offers or how you find deals. Yeah. So have you found all your deals through estate agents? Estate agents, yeah. I, yeah, up until that point in time. It was all so through after that, was it still... So No, after that, um, I started getting known throughout the estate agents, started building those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, my reputation started building up and... I started getting phone calls from these estate agents Ooh. to say, are you interested in this property? It's going to come onto market. Do you want to get in there first? Nice. So that's when that's when I started to buy um, off-market deals. And yeah, and it was a lot easier that way. And how long did it take before agents started calling you and giving you the source? Well, at least 18 months. So that, so that again? 18 months. Good. When people think it's all hard to get deals from estate agents, yeah, it, it is hard, but you can't expect to get it by just walking in and in in, in your flashy in your flashy in your flashy uh, shirt and, and nice <laughs> watch and, and uh, hand out your business card um, fresh off a fresh off a course. Yeah. <laughs> <You've>, <laughs> You've, yeah. got, you've got to put the sweat and the grind in there and you've got to have a proven track record with them that you can complete on deals. Yeah. You do what you say and, and that's that's the way that you get deals brought to you. 100% because at the end of the day, they're humans um, and it's yeah. a sales job so they're thinking about mainly one thing, not client satisfaction, but their commission. Yeah. And if you're completing quickly, if you're doing what you say you're doing, you're not pulling out deals, they're getting commission quicker. Yeah. They love you. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, you're always new to the list. They're always going to have an investor list they've had for 10 years, yeah, yeah. the past few years. Yeah. You're like, oh, how do I claw onto that? Yeah. And it's good, like you said, 18 months, and it's good you said that because people need to hear this. Yeah. Like, yes, you need to go in, you need to do viewings, but unfortunately, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. The proof is in you putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And by buying stuff, they see you're legit and... It benefits them. If they have a deal that you're going to buy and they call you and say, here it is, you want to buy it? Yeah. 90%, if they're not being idiots, you're going to buy it. Yeah, yeah. And they've done no work. Yeah. They don't have to pay the right move listing fee or anything. Yeah. It's just done. Just done. Um, it makes their job easier and everyone's a winner, really. And their client looks at them and thinks, whoa, well, you this is you sold it. Yeah, yeah. Like, this, this estate agent's amazing. They sold my property within X many days. And that's that's and that's what it comes out to. Yeah. It's a win-win yeah. situation, isn't it? It is, and so people need to focus on that. Like, look, I think there's a lot of discussion of other sourcing methods. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with DTV or Facebook leads or whatever. Yeah, but if you know, if you put in twelve to eighteen months with agents, yeah, how nice is it to get a call and just be like, oh, we're buying another house, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, investors, we're, we're, <laughs> easy as that. Yeah. 
that is the stage everyone wants to be at. Yeah. But people don't want to work for it. People don't want to work for it. They don't want to put the, the sweat and the grind. And courses won't that. tell you that. They'll just say, bring them donuts and they'll give you deals. <laughs> oh, really? It doesn't. How many people do you think have walked off the street with donuts telling them that they're a big shot investor throwing their business cards at them? They get this day in, day out. They talk uh, to us about that they and talk, they say... They talk to us and they okay. take the piss out of people to us. Yeah. They do? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, what was their name? Do I know them? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know them. Um, but like, yeah, people don't want to put that work in. Also, I find it really awkward. You don't know them and you bring them food. I mean, look, hey, I'm all about bringing me food. <laughs> but it's a bit like, what's the it reason? Is, yeah, yeah. Hi, here's donuts for something you haven't done yet. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to it me. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, it's a bit creepy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it, it might work somewhere. Um, for someone yeah. maybe uh, so you're buying all these houses how are you funding them now then so yeah so after the six it was basically the two that I bought um, with cash I bridged and then refinanced them mm-hmm. so I got all my money back out okay um, valuations coming great and yeah and then I, I had another lump of cash sat in my bank account ready to go and have you, I mean, did you did you think about working with investors or were you like, oh, I've got money here? No, yeah, you, you get comfortable, don't you, when you've got some money sat in the bank. I was just using it, uh, using my own money to fund my deals. Hmm, okay. And, you know, you're at a point now where your portfolio is, is built to a certain level. Um, how long have you been in property full-time? You quit your job. Not so, long, yeah, right? I quit my job in August last year, so... And what About kind six of six months now? What kind of profit cash flow per month were you receiving from your portfolio at that point you quit? I think it was just shy of three grand. I think it was about two and a half grand. Okay. Two and a half, three grand, yeah. And I mean look, everyone's lifestyles are different. That's a fairly sort of you know, if you if you live in the north, everything's cheaper, isn't it? Yeah. And you can live sort of not going to like Gucci and Balenciaga every week. Yeah, yeah. You can do well off that. I mean, you yeah. it, August last year, give or take, you could quit life and just travel the world. You know, yeah, two and a half grand to live in Thailand for a month. You're a baller. Yeah, America. You could literally do like what Tim Ferriss does and just travel the world if you wanted. to. If you wanted to, yeah. And like, but you put in how many years? How many months before that to get to that point? Yeah. And people don't see that, and I guess they don't want to see that. Because everyone wants the silver they bullet. All want the, they all want shortcuts. A shortcut, but... They all want to get to the end goal without putting the work in. There are no shortcuts. So, what fr- from your property journey, give me the top three lessons you have learned. Top three lessons slash top three tips for anyone who is you two years ago who's like, I want to do it. Yeah. Well, first one is be stop procrastinating. Just get up and do it, really. There's, you're never going to find the perfect time. There's never going to be the perfect market um, conditions. Yeah. Just just get up and do it. The second it. thing is don't overanalyze deals. Analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. It's a tongue twister that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, don't overanalyze deals. I mean, you can overanalyze things as much as you want. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's you best off again just just sort of doing it. Um, and the third thing is buy property, do your research, due diligence. So buy properties in, in obviously in decent, semi-decent areas with good rental yields, 
the last thing you want is to buy a property, do the refer to it, and then can't get it let out, or not have the right type of tenant that you had in mind. Yeah, because that happens quite a lot. Yeah, and I think I'd add to that like have a bit of faith because when I started out and I was using like my own money or like family money or whatever. Yeah. It is very difficult, especially revaluations. It's, it's like the scariest part. Until you get them come back, you're yeah. like, oh, well, revals are fine. Yeah, yeah. But when you haven't done a single one, yeah. you're going off the stories on Facebook of, oh my God, down value by 20 grand. Yeah. But then actually, when you get the valuations, and some are over what you expected, some are good, and you're like, shit works. I've just pulled out almost all of my money, all yeah. of my money. Yeah. Um, What the... F- like... You, yeah, it's just like it, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it blows your mind, yeah. but it's very difficult before that's happened to yeah. even process. Like I'm thinking now, before I would have been like, oh, shut up. like you know, but now I'm like, oh, this shit works. Like, let's go. I thought I was going ham before. Let's go ham now. Yeah. Um. So have faith. Speak to people like me. Speak to people like Theo, and like just ask us our experiences, right? Because yeah. we're doing it right now. Yeah. In this market, um, we're getting valuations. we so. <clears throat> networking speak to people who are going to give you that faith right yeah so h- how powerful has networking been to you are you a big networker yeah I'm a big networker I mean I go to um, about three events a month okay um, two or three a month and yeah I try to get around the room and speak to as many people as I can um, networking being, has been a big thing for me to be honest because I've met some great people from networking very knowledgeable people and they're the guys that you can rely <laughs> they, they're the guys that you can rely upon yeah. when you've got a question when you've got an issue to pick up the phone mm-hmm. and, and ask them and, they've, they've, all, and they've, they've been through it they've already walked they've walked the, 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 the path that you're sort of treading on now no definitely and what about social media because you post Inconsistently, <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Inconsistent, uh, but it's effective. <laughs> ah, well, that's what I was going to say. So, ha- how effective has it been, and in what sense? Yeah, um, I'll be honest with you, I don't post nowhere near as much as I should do on social media. Yep. Um, I have been trying to post a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's great because it, it, get, it gets my name out there. I've had um, a few people approach me through that. Um, and yeah, it just gets it gets your, your sort of brand awareness out there, doesn't it? Mm. Okay. And so we're in March 2020 when this gets released. Yeah. What are your goals for the rest of this year? So goals for the rest of this year. So initially this year I wanted to add another 10 properties to my portfolio. Boom. Okay, yeah. Um, which should increase my cash flow by around two and a half to three grand three, a month. Yes. Um, the other goal was uh, to yeah to what's your you just carry literally just carry on yeah so my goals for 2020 was to add yeah 10 properties to my portfolio mm-hmm um, which should increase my cash flow by around two and a half to three grand a month. And yeah, I'd also had a, have a goal of wanting to work with JV um, investors and, and yeah, and expand my network that way. Hmm. And um, for anyone who's watching this on video, they will notice that you go to the gym yeah. fairly often by the looks of it. <laughs> Every uh, morning. <laughs> how impactful is that and their discipline from that on your business? 
Yeah, so it, it's very impactful. Um, so I'm an, I'm an early riser. I mean, I haven't always been an early riser, but I do believe in, in imitating the successful and the most successful people in the world. They're, they're all early risers. Um, they all sort of work out early in the morning. They all read books, etc., etc. So yeah, going back to exercise, um, discipline is, is very important. Um, I was, I was very disciplined because um, I have competed in bodybuilding competitions and um, I did I was first place for the North East uh, for my away category so that that just shows sort of the discipline that's that's Mm. required to to get to where you need to be and I applied that same principle into property um, by keeping discipline persistent in doing the viewings making offers um, getting up when you really don't want to get up and doing things that you don't want to do uh, yeah, so discipline is is it's transferable from 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 fitness to property to, to your life in general. Okay, and you recently had uh, was it a new experience where you project manage James's property? That's right. Yeah. So tell we, us about that. Yeah. So I'm also um, project manager. So going back from my project management um, experience for for corporates managing multi million pound projects, I thought this is quite a, a really good transferable skill. Um, to to develop another business, which is project management, um, and I've, I've decided to take on some uh, some construction project management um, roles, and yeah, and I've went into partnership with with a friend of mine as well, uh, Dave, and we've we've formed a project management company, uh, which which is a solution for sort of out of town investors that want to develop HMOs, commercial conversions. Mm-hmm. So recently developed um, James's six bedroom or one suite HMO. He basically seen my HMO and just wanted... So give me to, that. He's like, just give me that. <laughs> Whatever you've done at yours, just, I want the same doing. Um, and luckily it was exactly the same layout because it was back to back with mine. Um, so I've, yeah, I've done everything from him for, from, yeah, so from strip out right up until... Um, getting building reg sign off and, and putting the up. And how has so. that been? Because working with long distance investors can be stressful because yeah. we can't see anything. There's yeah. a lot of trust. Yeah. Like how was that for you? Was it stressful or was it easy? Because James is quite I, easy. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all about work, the client. So I mean, how how easy they are and how easy they are to get along with. Um, and I also sort of give them the confidence and the reassurance that. I have their interest at heart, so I'm spending their money like how I would spend my money. Um, everything, every penny is accounted for. Um, they get regular updates and pictures um, of their project. Um, any issues and whatnot, I flag them up straight away so they've got transparency. I mean, throughout the whole build, I think James visited about three times, to be honest. Um, yeah, and then that's led to 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 other projects. So in the at the minute, I'm involved in a commercial conversion um, of converting a block of offices to uh, five apartments in wow. uh, in Dalo. Oh, Dalo. bloody hell. Okay, so this is like another income stream. So this is another well. income stream, yeah. So it's all about developing those multiple income streams and, uh, yeah, just using my transferable skills. Okay, last question. What are the biggest three mistakes you've made in property so far? Yeah, biggest three mistakes was um, I got started early enough at 19, but I didn't keep going. I mm. didn't keep going. So between the um, between twenty thirteen and twenty seventeen, I just didn't keep going. Um, the second mistake was sometimes I, I, you get overconfident sometimes when you're buying properties. Um, 
and you sort of it's a curse really because you've you've taken this so many years to build up your confidence to to know what you're doing and mm-hmm. sometimes you start taking shortcuts um so <clears throat> one thing would be to obviously reel reel yourself back in sometimes um yeah and and third thing really is to uh to always have the end goal in mind and not just work with the money or the situation that you've got at the minute. Yes. But it's to have that end goal in mind to, because I mean, the, some of the properties that I bought, they were, they were in D, um, DSS low income areas. And if you'd asked me um, a few years ago, that that was all the money that I had, that, that's all I could stretch to. But now thinking back to it, there was other means of getting better properties in better areas yeah, yeah. with better tenants, working tenants. So yeah, it's to always have the end goal in mind. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it's easy to look at your current bank account, your current situation and say, well, this is all I can do. Yeah. But instead of looking at, hey, in three weeks, could I not have 100 grand from an investor? Yeah. In three months, could I not have a lease option agreed? Yeah. And, and buy a property anywhere? Yeah. So that's a very good There's point. There's so many different means of, of, of going about getting the, the property that you want. Absolutely. Theo, if people want to get a hold of you to have a chat, to learn about what you're doing or to talk to you about your project management offering, yeah. what's the best way they can do it? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, uh, Theo Al Ali. Um, I'm also on Instagram, again, Theo Al Ali. Um, they can also email me. So my email is Theo at Al Ali, A L A L I, Property Group, uk. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Tej. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.